Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 90 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 16 of A Clash of Kings. That's brand two. And we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we're going to provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what's happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the TV show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll be particularly helpful if you're not reading along. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing fine. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Good, good. You got any good stories? I've got, I actually have a very quick one, actually. Yes, let's um, hear you it. You know a tree fell on my car. Uh, yes, we all know it. The, the whole GOH family knows it. Uh, well, um, the the repair was great. They did a good job of it and everything looked fine. And then uh, my tall neighbour who I play tennis with came around and he said, they've missed a bit. And and he can see the roof, which I can't really see. I mean, <laughs> it's not like my car's that tall, but he's just, he's noticeably taller than me. So he has a different angle. <laughs> and you know where the sides of your car come up and meet the roof? There's kind of like two channels yeah. there. Uh-huh. The, those are normally filled with rubber bits, and those rubber bits were missing. Oh. And I had no idea. I'd never noticed. I mean, I could see it just by peering up there, but it just wasn't a sort of natural <laughs> in my line of vision. But he spotted it straight away. And I called them up and they said, you know, we were just discussing what those two things were. <laughs> it's like when you finish building an Ikea a dresser or something and you've got some screws left. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. So th- I drove down and they fit them in like two minutes flat, and it good. was great. But, All right, uh, it was funny. I just I would have gone forever <laughs> not noticing. <laughs> and they would have eventually thrown those parts out, thinking, I don't "Probably know, just taking yeah. up space now." <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, yes. Yeah, so I was uh, I was contacted by a, a listener's mom this week. And <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> it's all that use of the word bastard. She said, why do you got to cuss so That's much? That's true. Yeah. Um, no, no, nothing like that. She uh, contacted me because she wanted to know about the books that we wrote that go along with the podcasts that we talk about because her son <laughs> wanted them for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that's awesome. Unfortunately, I had to fess up that we <laughs> did not actually write a song of ice and fire. But uh, yes, that that gave me a good good chuckle. Actually, um, <laughs> in full disclosure, I uh, actually know the listener and the mom. the The listener is uh, Ethan's best friend, and uh, we've known uh, his mom, him, and his mom, and his whole family basically for the past two decades. So. Uh, that's why she texted me separately, not on the GOH email, but, uh, I was, I was, well, there's, a, there's our next podcast that we write a book and then we talk about right. our own book. Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I had written a song of ice and fire. I wouldn't be doing a <laughs> podcast about it. That's for sure. <laughs> so. Nor would I be writing the sequels. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, happy uh, birthday, Noah. It's his 21st birthday. So. Uh, 
Congratulations, Noah. Okay, let's get down to business. How did we leave Bran Stark? It's been a while. Last time we saw Bran, he was discussing the comet with Maester Lewin. He was games mastering a game in the Godswood that ended with Walder Frey being bitten by Shaggy Dog. Pretty much all games in the gods would would end that way, right. I would imagine. Now that that's where Shaggy Dog hangs out. And he was continuing to have strange and portentous dreams. Uh, so, Michele, why don't we give him the summary of this one? Okay. Well, Winterfell is abuzz as vassal lords, or their representatives, are arriving from all over the north to celebrate the Harvest Festival. All those who come have things they need to discuss with the Starks. So Bran, being the Stark in Winterfell, must sit in on the meetings where he barely understands what's being said. He'd much rather be in the practice yard, tilting at the quintains with the waters in Lord Wyman Manderley's retinue. Hodor arrives at Bran's room, jolly as ever. Bran dresses and uses the bars attached to the walls to swing into position to drop into the wicker basket on Hodor's back. They take a detour to the practice yard, where most of Manderley's men stare at the sight. Bran tries to ignore them. The Walders come over and tease Hodor, calling him an ugly horse. Bran gets angry and threatens to stick summer on them, but the Freys are armoured and not afraid. Before it goes any further, Maester Lewin arrives and chastises all involved, except Hodor. Right. Hodor's the innocent party here. Lewin tells Bran that he was right to defend Hodor, but that he shouldn't have been there in the first place. His place was with Lord Manderley. But the Lord proves forgiving and pleasant company. He suggests that White Harbor is a good place for the new royal mint that the North will need now that it's independent. Furthermore, he's ready to build the navy that Rob will no doubt need as well. Bran likes this idea, but his opinion is not sought, and Roderick is non-committal. But he does agree to raise the idea with Rob. The after-lunch conversation turns to the recently widowed Lady Donella Hornwood. Oh, I'm wearing my Hornwood socks in honor of this. All right. Yes, good timing. I'll flash them to you later. Uh, Lord Wyman needs a wife. He's been a widower for eight years and fancies the Hornwoods' lands. Uh, If she's not interested in him, his son Wendell is single and will need a bride when he returns from the south. His other son Willis is captive of the Lannisters and a raven has arrived offering him back if Manderley withdraws his troops. The Lord has no intention of acceding to this demand but hopes that his son will be remembered when there's a prisoner exchange. The next day, Bran and company meet with the aforementioned Donella Hornwood. She's troubled by Roose Bolton's bastard son, who's amassing troops at the Dreadfort. Hopefully this is to add to the war effort in the South, but he, rather sexistly, won't give her an answer when pressed on his intentions. They discuss said bastard. He's not been formally recognized, but Bolton's son and heir died a few years ago, and so Roose brought this child into his home to raise as his heir. Rumors are that he's a nasty piece of work, even for a Bolton, in Lady Hornwood's words. She's beyond childbearing, but she has suitors aplenty, but she's still grieving and will only wed if commanded to do so. But she does indicate that Sir Roderick should throw his own hat into the ring. Ooh la la. Mr. Lewin is amused. (laughs) Bran likes the idea, but Roderick points out that he's older and when he dies, Lady Hornwood would be back in the same mess and Roderick's own daughter, Beth, would be in peril too as the nominal heir to Hornwood land at that point. So Bran heads to the Godswood. Summer races over, but Shaggy Dog disappears into some underbrush. Osha startles Bran and Hodor by suddenly emerging from a pool of water. Her body is covered in scars, and she is neither cold nor embarrassed. She's heard about the phrase bullying and warns Bran about them, 
particularly Little Walter, who she sees as mean through and through. Bran then denies having more wolf dreams, but Osha mocks his poor lying skills. Later, more lords arrive, this time a contingent from the Umbers, the great John's uncles, Moors and Hotha, put in their case for Lady Hornwood's hand. They too want ships, and are told to work with Lord Manderley to build some long ships to protect from sea raids by wildlings. You can't go over the wall, you can sail around it, yep. it doesn't go on forever. <laughs> uh, next, the Glovers and the Tollhearts arrive. Nobody is putting enough grain aside for the winter, and all are commanded to increase that. Leobald Tallhart has an unusual take on the Hornwood lands. His own younger son is nephew to Donella. He could be sent there as a surrogate heir, and even take the name Hornwood. How generous. He's ten, and would be a comfort and company to Lady Hornwood. Lewin confides to Bran that Lady Hornwood's future may actually just come down to practicalities. Rob might need to build an alliance with the Riverland House, and he gives the phrase as an example, and Bran offers either or both of the Walters in Winterfell. Mm -hmm. Last to arrive in Winterfell is 14-year-old Clay Sirwin, who has always been a friend to Bran, whose father is a captive of the Lannisters. He asks if he should call Bran Prince now, but Bran laughs it off. Sirwin's men joke about Stannis' claim, and news that Joffrey might have the Kingslayer for a father. Bran becomes dizzy and has trouble breathing. That night, the dream, he dreams the raven is pecking out his eyes and creating a third eye in Bran's forehead. Through this new eye, he sees himself hanging from a tower and a golden man saying, The things I do for love and tossing Bran out. Oh, that almost sounds familiar. Yes, yes, to us <laughs> it is. Right. The only person who doesn't remember this is Bran. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, apologies if that's the longest chapter summary we've ever done, but it was hard to summarize this chapter because it was just a catalog of interactions. Yeah. And I found... Who knows which ones are going to be the most important? Right. Clearly, right. I, I don't remember. I found this to be, of the now 90 chapters that we've covered, the most challenging to to create a show around. There, there There's so uh, many little pieces and bits and bobs and it was really hard to try and encapsulate it all into a coherent show well yeah, we'll get there <laughs> check back in in half an hour see how we right. do it. if everyone's asleep we know we've failed <laughs> i did enjoy it though because i really I, I like i like the sort of like the build-up of the whole tapestry of of yes. Westeros and the North, you know, because sure we've we've got the leaders of all these houses basically working with Rob down in uh, the Riverlands, but now this is the sort of lesser brothers, uncles, nephews, whatever of these houses, and sort of like how they're dealing with their situation while they're typically while their lord is out of town. Clearly, Roose Bolton's heir is up to no good. Seems like it. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, obviously some of them, like Lord Manderley, of course, hasn't gone himself because he's too fat and old to fight, but uh, he's clearly paying a lot of attention to what's going down there. But also perhaps using that opportunity to sort of like gain a, a an advantage over other Northern Lords. He's a Lord. Everybody else is just speaking on behalf of their Lord. Right, kind of thing. right. So he might get some 
concessions out of the Starks, like the Royal Mint, like money for a new navy, that kind of thing. Yeah. Which, if everybody was there pitching, he might not get it because everybody's got an equal claim. Right. So Yes. I found the whole thing really good. In fact, I think it might be my favorite Bran chapter. Oh yes, I, well, I could see the, that. There was the there was the early drama of Bran. Sure, but. yeah, yeah. It's definitely as far as the recent Bran chapters go. It's the one that has the most interesting things going on. Yeah, mostly because he's just an observer. Really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I feel bad criticizing Bran. He's an eight year old child, you know. But his life isn't that thrilling. Yeah, really. yeah. Good point. Yeah, it's definitely cool to to see the daily life going on. You know, even the meetings they're they're interesting and how they entertain themselves. Uh, and uh, it's just it's pretty cool because there, there's still important matters being discussed. And uh, it was just a there's a whole bunch of conversations that were very similar to one another. Yeah, yeah, and that, that that's that's what I mentioned in the notes here. I I I, I kept thinking. I'm surprised the editor didn't say, hey, you've got to cut this back because this is kind of like the same thing over and over again. Yeah. It's Lewin, Roderick and Bran sitting in a room talking to one representative after another and pretty much all about the same subject, Lady Hornwood. And right. It, it, lush lands. Lady know. Hornwood and not putting enough food aside. <laughs> right. There is the not putting enough food aside. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, like you were saying earlier, we don't know what ones are going to be important storylines yeah. and what ones are just, you know, filler conversation. But some of the things seem like they might not be very necessary. Like the Glover's only putting a tenth of their food aside because a hedge wizard told them that uh, there's going to be a, a second uh, spirit summer. But, you know, maybe in a future, maybe it's setting us up for in the future that the you know, if we ever make it to winter, that the Glovers are starving because they weren't putting enough food aside. Or or maybe even before winter, something comes up where it really relies on the Glovers to not be idiots. <laughs> and they fail that one, too. Because... <laughs> yes, yes. It's just showing that they don't think it through How very well. How hard is this? Yeah. yeah. Maybe the whole uh, Hornwood Derby situation is is supposed to show to us that without a strong enough lord in Winterfell that some of these lesser lords are trying to take advantage of the situation to their benefit. Because they're, they're all throwing their hat in the ring, and it's oh, not yeah. because of how amazing Donella Hornwood is. It's because there's free yeah. land sitting out there. I have a question which I think you'll probably have to edit out, but let me pose it anyway. Um, back in back in the dream of uh, the maesters, oh, yes. the ones yeah. in charge... Was it Lady Hornwood's wedding? No, it was not Lady Hornwood's wedding. It's not? No. Okay. Because it feels like she's going to get married at some point here, but I don't remember any of this. You know. Right. No, it was not. It was not Lady Hornwood's okay. wedding. But that's a good guess. I could definitely see why you would have guessed that. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So um, one thing um, I noticed is how hurt Bran was by the stares of Manderley's men as he's carried around in the wicker basket right, on yeah. Hodor's back. And and I get it. I mean, you're eight. You're self conscious about things, and you know, and it's, man, you're 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 crippled, and you're being carried around. But Maester Lewin, I think, could reassure him a little bit here. If I was a Mandalay and a seven foot guy walked past without a wicker basket and a child, <laughs> I would stare. Yes, this <laughs> man's seven foot tall. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You could definitely make that argument. You know, that that's uh, not something you see every day. 
a seven foot tall man walking past. It, <laughs> it, speaking of Hodor's size, Bran is is thinking about how he doesn't want to be. He never wanted to be a lord. He wanted to be a knight, and how he he's never going to be a knight now. And he says to Hodor, based on his. Uh, massive size and incredible strength you could have been a great knight if the gods hadn't taken your wits and i thought could you imagine hodor with all his wits about him in a melee at a at a tourney he would be like the mountain like he's like mountain type size would be like the mountain yes yes exactly yeah frightening thought yeah well so i i also noticed that bran in the the walter uh boys the phrase they don't seem to be bonding very well no. And it reminded like me, water. yes, right. It reminded me of back in Cat Two, which is one of the very early chapters, obviously, of a Game of Thrones when they were when Cat was subtly nudging Ned to go south with Robert, and Ned wanted to bring Bran to King's Landing with him, and his reasoning was that he felt that Bran could bring Rob and Joffrey together because, he, as he described him, quick to laugh and easy to love, and. Um, it, if he's not able to get along with these Walters, he was never going to succeed with Joffrey Baratheon. So, uh, true, but but I will say there's a slight difference between those two things because one is getting along with the Walders, the, the phrase, and the other one is getting two other people to get along with one another, and he might be better at that. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not going to like everybody. Nobody likes everybody, but. Maybe you can be the kind of person who can make two people who wouldn't like each other begin to like each other. Sure, break down barriers you, between right. others. Usually the best way to do that is to be their common en- yes, enemy. right. <laughs> he could be their target. There's nothing more of a bonding experience than having somebody else to pick up. Yes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They could... Uh... Right. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. also thinking that, you know, back then, Bran had use of his legs. He had his family around. He might been less insecure, easier to get along with, because he could do right. more things with the boys. He could be part of the group, yeah. you know? He could have been the one that took them down into the crypts, and he could play the the games like the crossing yeah. game yeah. and all that stuff. Where, whereas being forced to just watch them play that game just sort of, like, further entrenches his sort of isolation. Yes. And, you know, it's going to... Yeah, it's going to be hard to keep your sunny disposition in those situations. Right. But, but, I, so after there's, there's a, there's a dust up between the Walters and Bran involving Hodor. And then Lewin comes in and he reprimands all of them. And he, he takes Bran away because he tell, tells him he's not supposed to be in the yard in the first place. He's supposed to be with Roderick and uh, Wyman Manderley. And he says, must I fetch you like a child? And then in the very next breath, uh, Bran says, so what are we going to talk about? And he says, you will talk of nothing. You are only a child. <laughs> it's the usual uh, way that adults talk to kids in uh, yeah. uh, paradoxical terms uh, there. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. Plus, I mean, the other thing is, if he really wanted him there, he shouldn't have just sent Hodor to get him. I mean, it should have been like, you know, if you want someone, if you want an eight-year-old to be in a certain place at a certain time, you better take them there yourself. Don't rely on them to find their way there. True. That makes me think there might be a trend going on here in Winterfell because they also trusted a three-year-old to properly raise and train a direwolf. A direwolf. So, <laughs> they might slightly overestimate the capabilities of children around Winterfell. Yeah. yeah. I will say, actually, on the, on the chastisement, he chastises the phrase... 
there and then in the yard, but he actually saves his chastisement for Bran for when they are together walking to the right. meeting with Lord Mandalays. Because Bran didn't do that much wrong, apart from not being where he should be. Right, yes. Yes, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think we mentioned in the summary that uh, Lewin does say, you were right to defend him, but you should never have been there to begin with. So, right. yeah. So, uh, Wyman Mandalay comes across really well, I think. He's jovial and smart and mentally nimble. Not physically nimble, apparently, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He definitely he, seems he loyal. Seems, yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, he's not there fighting, but he literally couldn't. So, he might as well stay home. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, his loyalty is shown in his reaction to the raven from... Uh, from the Lannisters. Oh yes, I offering agree. Yeah. his son back if he'll just withdraw his troops, and he's like, and I think sort of Lewin and Roderick sort of leap on it, like you're not going to do that, right? But he was already no, no, I wasn't yeah. going to do that. I was just bringing it to your attention right. because you know, hey, at some point there's going to be a prisoner exchange. I'd like you to remember that I have a son down there. Yes, and I was thinking about that. I, I think he should be safe. Him being Willis, as long as Rob has Jamie. I don't think the Lannisters would like go too far with any kind of um you know hurting or killing any Northmen as long as Rob has uh Jamie on his side. I think that's true of Tywin Lannister. I would not let Joffrey take Oh yes I agree. (laughs) (laughs) We learned Joffrey doesn't think things through like that, that's for sure. That cause and effect thing. Yes. But yeah, uh, back to Wyman Manderley. He he definitely seems loyal. He's been he seems to be doing the right things. He's dedicated to this new kingdom. He's fired customs officers that were holding back coin for King's Landing versus giving it over to the to Rob in the north. He's proposing that a, a mint be made. <laughs> I, I like the idea that he caught these customs officers with bags full of gold. <laughs> and they said, "Oh, we were going to give them to King's Landing." <laughs> that, that, that's that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what we were doing. Yeah. Fire us. We'll accept that. Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah. yeah de- demote us right down to the lowest. We'll start from the bottom rung again. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But he also uh, proposes that a new mint, because, you know, they're they're their own sovereign nation now. They're, they're going to need uh, coins and Rob's image, I guess. And uh, he says, hey, yeah, I know yeah, the best place point. to do it right here in White Harbor. And then, being that they're also, first of all, the only city in the north and a coastal town, he suggests that he be in charge of building them a navy. And uh, he's also mentions that he's been, to at his own expense, been strengthening the defenses of White Harbor. So, you know, he's he's doing a lot of stuff. And, and, and does he say? Remind me because I've forgotten. Does he say specifically the harbor of White Harbor, or was it the whole city? Yeah. I, 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 when I read it, I, I, in my head, it was the harbor itself. So yeah. he was getting the harbor more defended because I guess not having a navy, they are susceptible to naval attack. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. Probably was the harbor because that would be the place they would land. They'd have to come yeah. through the harbor to get to the city, likely. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason we have touched on the reason why the North doesn't have a navy, navy before. Uh, Bran the Burner, son of Bran the Shipwright, uh, burnt all of the uh, ships when his father never came home, right? Yes, right. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of a... So, Wyman Manderley says that this it's been hundreds of years since Bran the Burner uh, burnt all the, the Navy. But 
in the other book, Fire and Blood, which is kind of the Targaryen history, it's mentioned it's been thousands of years before the conquest that this happened. So hundreds of years do add up to thousands of years. He didn't say how That's many true. hundreds of years, but <laughs> I noticed that there was a little bit of a discrepancy there. Yeah. Maybe that's as high as numbers go for Mandalay. Like, <laughs> right. if, if I were Roderick and Lewin, I'd take advantage of that. It'll be like, yeah, we'll give you hundreds of golden dragons right. for that. <laughs> yeah. If you build us hundreds of ships, you can have hundreds of gold dragons. <laughs> um, Brand Shipwright, uh, he sailed west across the Sunset Sea and never came back. And that's why Brand the Burner, in his grief, torched all the uh, the ships in the fleet. And they apparently just have never bothered to rebuild since then. Yeah. So Mandalay asks, asks for enough gold to build um, a fleet that within a year would have sufficient galleys to take Dragonstone and King's Landing both. Feels... Seems a little bit far fetched. Yeah, it I mean, seems like to me like the um, epitome of hyperbole, if you will. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Brian Regan's fans will get that. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the the real problem for me is not that. I mean, if you dedicated the whole city to shipbuilding, sure you could build an amazing fleet within a year. But who would know how to sail these things? If 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 the North has been without ships for hundreds of years, right. none of these people are actually expert sailors. <laughs> That's yet. a very good point. Should put that down in pedantry. <laughs> well no, I mean this is why I'm a Mandalay's point. I mean, he's, not, he's not wrong necessarily. He's just he's just really swinging for the fence. I'll give you the things. ships. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're gonna sit idle for a while till we can train some <laughs> yeah. folks to sail them. <laughs> They all just ship up at King's Landing and they all just get out puking. And, oh, <laughs> Take me to the dungeons. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, one thing I'll say here is Ned definitely didn't surround himself with flatterers and fools. Lewin and Roderick are stalwart and sharp and they're super reliable. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's maybe why Ned was so ill-prepared for life in King's Landing. He's used to good, honest, loyal counsel and was totally, you know, a fish out of water when it came to the type of folks that are he was getting yeah, advice from I the small council. Jory, Jory Cassell was probably the closest he had to that oh, oh, from the north. Right. Was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was his captain he, of the guard. He, it was probably his most relied right. upon confidant, followed by Fat but, Tom. But, yeah. <laughs> It, was he a glover? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I only need to set aside a tenth, a tenth of my grain. I'm hungry, yeah. man. Well, fat Tom, to be to be fair, if you set aside a tenth, you'd be doing all right with Fat Tom. <laughs> you know, it made me think about the Roderick and Lewin's. You know how much effort they're putting into providing Rob with the best counsel possible, which is something Roderick literally voices in this chapter. Is we need to give Rob our best counsel possible. It makes me think in comparison of Cersei's small council that she's put together. She wanted all yes men that were just basically going to agree with her point of view. Everyone thinking the same way she's thinking rather than putting together the best council possible that she could. Yeah. But again, I mean, that that is true. But she does have Littlefinger and Varys and she knows that yes. they're talented. You yes. Know? Of, of course, I don't. Varys especially is going to go with uh, go with whatever way the winds are blowing that are going to keep him in the best possible position. And Littlefinger is going to say and do things that are going to put 
him as well in the best possible position. So n- neither are looking out for the queen's or or Joffrey's best interest. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. One thing I'll say about Lewin and Roderick is that they, they, they are quite clever in never actually uttering a decision here. They're all like, you know, or at least they'll give decisions on minor things, but on the big things, they're like, we will send that to Rob and we'll, right. he'll talk about it. So, um, <laughs> yes, that does, I mean, not that they're passing the book, but, but they do a good job of, of masking the fact that they're not actually giving anyone a positive answer to anything significant. Right. Yeah. And, now, now, just to to remind anyone who's forgotten, the reason why Roderick is doing uh, all these things along with Lewin is because when he and Kat finally left the Vale and got to White Harbor, she rode to Moat Kalen. She made him the Castellan of Winterfell, so he is technically the one in charge here in Winterfell. So that's right. why he's making right. these kind of decisions as a knight. But yeah, you're right. They're definitely. Um, they're like, yeah, okay, we'll take we'll take your uh, question, <laughs> right. pass it along. Which, on some level, anyone could do. Right. <laughs> they do a good job of doing it. Next up in the sort of meetings is Lady Donella Hornwood herself. So her husband died at the Green Fork. Again, I, I kind of feel bad for anyone whose husband, son, whatever, died at the Green Fork because it was really a suicide mission. It the was, whole Green Fork. yes. And right. But the way it was carried out, it didn't have to be. It could have right. been a, you know, just keep bringing them, bringing the, t- yeah, the Lannisters again. along, but that's not how they did it. <laughs> no, it was run full t- tilt into that trap and let the jaws close around us and hope for the best. Right. Uh, and not only was her hus- did her husband die, but her son was killed by Jamie himself in the Whispering Woods. Yes. So that's why I'm wearing my Homewood socks today. Yeah, and you know, uh, I thought about... But I was thinking about Jamie, and you know, the realm refers to him as the Kingslayer because he killed King Ares Targaryen. But at the Whispering Wood, he was almost a, the Air Slayer because he killed a Torin Karstark, Eddard Karstark, and Darren Hornwood. Now, Torin and Eddard aren't the Air, but if something were to have happened to um, Harrion, he they would be the heir. So he, in one push to get to Rob, he plowed through uh, several important members of uh, northern families here. Yeah. yeah, or at least he was he was the son killer basically. Yeah, if, right. if, if a son of any lord came on in, into his path, they got decapitated right. there and there. So the Hornwood lands, I sort of geographically, they are between the Mandalays and the Boltons lands. Basically, the Mandalays are roughly south of the Hornwoods and. The Boltons in between, so they they sort of form a buffer between those two. The Mandalays and Boltons have more land, probably a little bit more powerful than the Hornwoods. The Hornwoods are a bit of a you know the sandwich, right? In the middle of the sandwich. To the east of the Hornwoods land are the the land of the Flint family. Uh, their seat is Widow's Watch. 
that's a more that's a more minor family unlikely to win her hand although it would sort of like complete the middle of the sandwich right. between the Mandleys and the Boltons um the but the Flints don't come to Winterfell they're they're the one of the families who don't show up they're about all the only family who don't show up in this chapter because they've got the sickness at widow's watch and lady Lyessa Flint is very pregnant so yeah. they the Flints don't come but in actual fact I don't know if there's an eligible uh male but they would actually be kind of a good choice for this. West of Hornwood's lands is Winterfell, and then beyond Winterfell, you've got Deepwood Mart and Torren Square. Um, yeah, further west. Yeah, Deepwood Mart is uh, to the north. Torren Square is to the south Square. of exactly. Winterfell. Exactly. The Carstarks' numbers are further north than all of these other families, and they have no boundary with the Hornwoods. Yeah, you know, but there. So they, the description mentions that by the end of the chapter, all of the primary houses have been uh, accounted for in one way or another but some don't get a mention like uh, the Risewells and the Dustins who are both southwest of Winterfell don't get a mention and there's a, another smaller house called Woolfield between the Flints and the Locks that don't get a mention now that doesn't mean that they didn't send a, a note we just didn't hear anything at all from yeah, them yeah, so yeah. But that's where the editor came in right <laughs> really there was like eight of these conversations <laughs> Five at max. Cutting it at five. All right. Let me tell you, Laessa Flint is really pregnant and she's not coming, okay? <laughs> You've got one sentence. Sum it up. So there's there's so many conversations in this chapter. Basically, every everybody that shows up to talk to them throws their hat in the ring one way or another to somehow come to the aid of Danella Hornwood. And uh, yes, who I think she's about forty-two years of age, and uh, she she says that her beauty has faded. That's what she says of herself. I I would assume that she's wrong. She's just being modest. I'm right. sure she's very beautiful, and that's what uh, Roderick says. She is quite comely for all her modesty. Yes, but so there's a lot of different options thrown out there. But one I thought was that was pretty pretty good option is Baron Tallhart, who's the son of the guy who showed up, who's Leobald Tallhart. Now he's not actually um, Lord of uh, you know Lord Tallhart. That's his brother Helman. But uh, Leobald's wife is actually um, a Hornwood. He she is the sister of the late Hollis Hornwood, which was Danella's late husband. So that makes Baron Danella's niece. <laughs> Danella's <laughs> nephew. I mean, sorry. Now, so Leobald's idea is maybe Danella doesn't want to remarry. And if she doesn't want to remarry, my son Baron could come live with her, come live with his aunt, be raised by her as an heir. He's 10. And um, so, you know, he could be raised. He's even willing to allow the boy to change his name to Hornwood. And he doesn't say this, but I was thinking, you know, the, the complaint about this is, yeah, but he's a kid. We're going to be in the same situation. We We need someone... So a strong presence there to to keep anybody from trying to take these Hornwood lands. I was thinking that Rob could name a strong knight as Castellan until the boy is of uh, age. Yeah. And what better knight than possibly Roderick? Or you know, I know Roderick is Castellan uh, of Winterfell at the moment, but uh, you know that that's actually a beautiful solution. Right there. <laughs> we don't we know I, that Danellis tends to uh, favor Roderick. And even, how about this, a little bit of matchmaking for the future, 10-year-old Baron with uh, Roderick's daughter, Beth. Beth, yes. Yeah. There you go. So Keeping it in the family. Right. 
<laughs> so that way, uh, Roderick, Roderick's concerned that he might not live long enough to uh, protect these lands. But, you know, Baron's yeah. 10, another five, six years, I'm, and he'd be a man grown, especially in the north. <laughs> I'm impressed. I think they should get rid of Lewin and Roderick, who can't come up with a good <laughs> idea between them, and appoint you. Right, I'll do it. And I'll just pass everything along to Rob. Right. Easy. But Hallis Hornwood did have a bastard son, Lawrence, or Lawrence Snow, who's being fostered by the Glovers, so probably not not, not flourishing, at least intellectually. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he could be the answer, but he is not her blood, of course. He's right. her husband's bastard child, so that she's not going to be thrilled with that as an outcome. But we do know that kings can uh, elevate bastards to... Uh, a higher status. Right. And Rob, so Rob could do that. Yeah. And yeah. so I was wondering when this Lawrence came about. Was it before Danella or after Danella? So he's 10. We don't know how old Darren is, but he did ride with Hallis south with Rob, and he was one of the people protecting Rob during the Whispering Woods. So you imagine he's not younger than 10. So, <laughs> yes. So chances yes. are this I, I was, would say he'd have to be 15 to be Yes, there. I would think so. At least 15, which yeah. means this child uh, Lawrence came after they were married. So there might be a little more animosity than if he had had this child in his younger years and then got married and you know, he'd be I like a, a stepson to her. But no. Plus, <laughs> that's quite a betrayal of Lady Hornwood. I think she should stop her crying over Alice's death. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> What's she so broken up about? <laughs> yeah. uh, but all all of this jockeying is probably for nothing because Lewin is probably right. The most likely outcome of this marriage will be to cement an alliance with the river, with a Riverlands house. Yes. Right, probably right. not the phrase because I would think that the deal that Catelyn struck with the phrase is enough to cement that alliance because Rob's going to marry one. Right. Yeah. But, that should um, do it. She's now she'll be queen yeah. in the north. That <laughs> yeah. that should be enough to appease them. But what about my seventeenth granddaughter? <laughs> oh, sorry, grandson in this case. Would have to right. Yeah. Um, but other Riverlands laws will definitely want their reward, and it probably that's politically the most likely outcome of this is someone from the Riverlands. I would think. Yeah, that certainly will make a lot of northern lords angry, though, because you know this is the north. Yeah, and these are northern it, lands. It definitely could be combined with the Tollhart's idea because if she is honestly saying that she's past childbearing age, then there would need to be an heir. Right. Yes. Unless this Riverland's second son comes with a child already, there won't be an heir for uh, for the Hornwood lands. So Baron Tollhart as a nephew could be the right answer for that still. Yeah, even if he does come with a son... That son is for, is not of northern blood. You know, they, they take stuff right. very seriously like that in the north. Right. So. And that actually might lead to the choice because they may not choose someone who's got a child for that reason. Oh, yeah. So right, that right. then if, there, if, if a child happens, then it will be uh, Lady Homewood's child. Right. And if a child doesn't happen, we'll just reassign, we'll reassign those lands when the time comes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Roderick talks about the fact that when he dies, if he died, if he married Lady Homewood and then died, Beth would be the kind of the heir as his child, but not really because she was not 
born to it. Right. She would just be marrying into it. And so she'd be in peril because the rivals would see her as a rival claimant to the lands that they could claim. For instance, the Tallhearts claiming it through the nephew Beren. Yeah. I I feel like maybe he's being a little bit overly protective of his daughter Beth here because so a wiki of ice and fire projects Roderick to be at least 51 let's say he's even 60 and Beth he he could at 60 he very possibly could go uh, at least another 10 years he seems like a pretty healthy guy you know I mean you never know like he says to Bran you never know the the uh, when you're talking about tomorrow but Let's say he goes another 10 years. Beth would be 20 by then. Plenty of time to have married someone who's, uh, you know, a, a strong... Baron Tolhart. Right. Yes, exactly. Then, <laughs> and it seems like it would be a great opportunity for House Cassell and for Roderick to become a landed knight and Beth to become a lady could really, you know, up them in, yeah. uh, in the eyes of the North. Yeah. And based on... What we know of Roderick's reputation, it might Rob right really appreciate a strong, loyal person like Roderick being the head of a house that borders Bolton lands because, you know, Boltons also have a reputation that are a little bit yes. sneaky and crafty. So there's a lot of cutthroat talk about um, gobbling up these Hornwood lands. Um, it's a mild concern that the win- the Stark in Winterfell is only eight years old if this bubbles into something more than just jockeying for position. But I will say, I have to say, that you've got to imagine all of these people who are coming and pitching for Lady Hornwood must realise that they're just going through the motions. It's going to go wherever it goes. Now, if you've come and pitched and get told no at some point in the future, maybe you can get something in return. Yeah. Oh, well... What are you going to give me instead then? Right. Can I have the royal mint? <laughs> you know. So, so that's the thing. You see, I don't think that they're very. I don't think any of them are very serious. I think they would all like it. I just don't think that that's serious because they know Rob's not there to make the decision. Yeah, that's a good point. I, they under- yeah, I hadn't thought about that. They they understand that it's going to go through Rob, and they understand that Rob's going to make a more geopolitical decision than just. It would be nice for us to get our family in that our foot in that door, you know. Yes, yes, I see where you're coming from. I had not thought about that. Yeah, I guess it doesn't hurt. Like, hey, I've got a really good idea of why I should be the person. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're coming all this way to pitch it, have a reason. Right. At least, and the better the reason, the bigger the concession you should get when you're told no. Yeah. Good point. If you can make a compelling case but still get told no, then you can say, well, (laughs) my other hand is open. (laughs) If that one's not going to work, what are you going to do about this hand? Exactly. Well, I I will say that riding off into battle with your son does seem quite exciting and a very um, father-son team-building exercise there, a very bonding experience. But especially uh, when the liege lord is is a 15-year-old, you know, it He's a kid. You're bringing your son. It's a it's a very uh, you know bonding experience here. But this is why you at least leave one at home, because uh, you know at least Harry and Karstark has been taken captive and not killed like his brothers. But so many have lost their heirs at this point. Well, I guess just the Hornwoods. But the Karstarks are very lucky that Harry and Karstark was not killed and just taken captive here. Yeah. And, yeah. 
you would think they would learn. The Starks know that there always must be a Stark in Winterfell. Exactly. And, and they left one. Right. Benjen got stuck at home. And Rickon. <laughs> right. <laughs> Poor Benjen got stuck at home during Robert's Rebellion. Now, it, this was an easy call. Bran's eight. They're not going to send him off to war with his brother. But, uh, you know, he is nearly a man grown, so. <laughs> we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. That's your favorite. My favorite line is a Rickard joke, and your favorite line is eight-year-old to romance. <laughs> So anyway, I, I just think they it would probably have been wiser for everyone to leave at least one son at home so they didn't end up in this situation. Yeah. So Ruth Bolton's uh, smarter than that because he leaves, well, he was not an heir. Yes, right. But it, because he doesn't have an heir, but he has the bastard son who we don't know his name yet, do we? It's not been announced. No. I, mean, I, I actually do. I do know. Oh, his good job. All right. Yeah, check me out. <laughs> But it's not been announced in the book, so we'll keep it a secret for now. But uh, uh, but he's a snow, presumably. Oh yes, yes, Bastard, he would yeah. be a snow, uh, absolutely. So young young master snow here did get left at home, um, but he sounds like he might be a bit of a a cad. Yeah, they might have been better off finding new uh, ownership for the uh, Bolton lands as well if something were to happen to Roos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder if I wonder if Roos sort of legitimizes him before his death it can rob unlegitimize him no i've changed my mind you are not a <laughs> he probably could king snow. can pretty much do whatever <laughs> they want yeah <laughs> yeah so he's gathering up troops he's showing a lot of disrespect for lady hornwood uh and he has rumored that he has a servant called reek and the two of them hunt for more than just deer in the woods. Mm. It sounds like it might be hunting humans, which is that's, not a very nice That's thing. what I got from that as well, that she yes. was implying that. Yeah. Yes, and Lady Hornwood is clearly troubled by having this uh, this this child. We don't know exactly how old he is, but he's not, uh, he's not a man grown, I don't think. I think he's a youngster. I think he might be the Northern Joffrey, is what I'm thinking. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Comes across that way. Um, yeah, and and he doesn't have any adult supervision. You know, Roos is away, and he Roos doesn't have a wife, uh, doesn't have a living wife, so there is no adult there. So Roos Bolton, we we remember from what you know, basically from his interactions with Rob, he he is hard edged and a bit of a brute, uh, and it seems like Young Master Snow here might not have fallen too far from that tree. Yeah, some of, some of the terms we've heard about Roos are terms like cold and cunning and calculating. And I uh, I would think if Roos were, if if this Bolton kid is, you know, a mini-me to Roos, he might be a little more subtle than amassing men in broad daylight and sending rude rejections to his neighbors when they're asking about it. He might be a little more right. manipulative and a little more secretive about how he does things. But he's this guy. This kid's young. I, I'm not sure how subtle the Boltons are, though. I mean, their sigil is a flame. <laughs> they do send a message with that. There's no subtleties <laughs> there. 
Um, so the Tolhart de- delegation complains of unruly behaviour. The, their heir, Benfred, has raised lances and they're causing mischief in the countryside. And uh, they got called a bunch of wild hares. And so they took a wild hare as their sigil, this group of lances. Um, Roderick tells them what I don't think needs to be told, which is they should be brought to heel. And right. the threat is that the king is going to be told of this and he will not be pleased when he gets back. But there, this is kind of the underlying problem in the north of now. The men are away and the boys are growing up unruly. You know, yeah. The Bolton bastard, the Tall Hearts. Uh, I can't think of anyone else who's growing up wild. <laughs> Who could north. it be? Shaggy Dog. <laughs> it's Shaggy Dog. Isn't it? Shaggy's growing up wild. Yes, Rickon is certainly yeah. um, being raised by the wolves here. <laughs> yeah. And and the phrase, to be honest, they they're out of control up there as right, well. Right. Yeah. Good point. I, I doubt they'd be behaving the way they are if Lord Eddard Stark was the uh, Lord in Winterfell at the moment. They would be foolish to, that's yes. for sure. So Shaggy seems to be getting a bit more, maybe a little bit more sinister. You know, I mean, he's, he's been rambunctious and out of control, but now he's sort of skulking off when humans come into the godswood. Yes. I just, I just feel like a, I would now be quite afraid of Shaggy Dog, I think. Yes, I agree. And... Uh, but, but also, he's becoming withdrawn, and I wonder if that's kind of like the spirit animal of Rickon. Rickon is becoming perhaps more withdrawn as well. Could be. We didn't hear from him at all at this chapter. He wasn't in the yard. He wasn't in the godswood. Yeah. yeah. Forgotten, probably. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Shaggy Dog uh, being less around humans and uh, you know a little more uh, wild, uh, Asha, Bran mentions that Asha is wary of the direwolves. Um because her first introduction to the direwolves was Summer and Shaggy Dog tearing people to bits, so you know that that that'll scar you for a bit. <laughs> but but then in this chapter, she's in the Godswood alone with the wolves when Bran and Hodor come in. So she can't be That's that wary point, of yeah. them. She's not only was she in the Godswood, she stripped naked and got into the water. So, she, but maybe. What happened was she wasn't naked. The do- the the wolves ripped her clothes <laughs> and she leapt into the water to avoid them. <laughs> that, that's the part she's glossing over because she's trying to when keep up that topic. When arrived, exterior. she pretended it was bath day. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been it. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, you're talking about her warming to them. I mean, you're right. It would be hard to warm to them after that introduction. But on the flip side, the only way is up. Right. You're very. Yes. It's unlikely you're going to see the dogs do anything worse than what you saw them doing right the day you met them. Yes, and if you do, you uh, won't remember it for very long anyway, because you'll likely be yeah, dead. That's right. <laughs> so, Osha knows that Bran's continuing to have the dreams. She sort of laughs at his ability not to, to his inability to lie to her. He, he tries to, but she's like, "Yeah, I see you're still having those dreams." Yeah. Uh, why does Bran dislike them so much? The wolf dreams. That is the question. I mean, he he's mentioned in previous chapters that he likes them better than the tree dreams, where the werewolves call to him, which uh, you know would definitely be creepy. Uh, and he mentions in that same chapter uh, when he talks about how he likes them better than the tree dreams that he'd rather be he'd rather be a wolf than a little boy because he could go rescue his family. And um, you would think that he would like the freedom of being the wolf you know, able to yeah, prowl. But yeah. but I wondered if maybe his issues are the feelings he has as Summer. Maybe he can feel right. the angst and captive frustration that Summer feels when right. when he is 
being summer or or is he just secretive of the dreams he feels like they're his own and, and osha's prying into his sort of private world yes of these dreams right that could be yeah um so the umbers are there they're very bawdy um but they have interesting news about wildling raids by sea um you would have thought that that vulnerability of going around the wall had been noticed previously and they would have had these long ships that now talking about right building Yes, I agree. You know, the, I, I wonder if... thousands of years that wall has been there. Yeah. Someone will have noticed the edge of it eventually. <laughs> you think the folks at Eastwatch especially would have noticed. Oh, the wall ends and right this, about there. Plus, I wonder I wonder how often that the uh, sea freezes there and they can actually walk around the edge of the wall. Oh, yeah, in the winter, you'd think possibly. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I'm, I was wondering if maybe this is an increased exodus south Due to, you know, we've been hearing about these rumblings in the north and plenty of turmoil going on up there. And remember, um, Mormont told Tyrion way back in, it was like Tyrion 3 or something, that fisher folk near Eastwatch had seen White Walkers uh, on the shore in that area. So, you know, we know that Osha and her group escaped south of the wall. So maybe this has just been, maybe it's always been an issue. It's just increased to the point where it's becoming troublesome now. Right. But you would think that you would... There would always be danger of this, and so you would have some ships patrolling. Not yeah, many. right. Just a couple. I mean, because it's literally just one point in the world. It's just that point there. You don't have to patrol tens of miles. It's just a couple of miles you have to keep your eye on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good point, yeah. And if... One of those white walkers gets around that wall, then things that's a, that's a turn. <laughs> yes, they better hope though the uh, sea doesn't freeze there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I found it uh, funny that so we get the story about how uh, Moore's uh, Umber it gets the nickname Crow's Food because a crow mistake, mistook him for dead and took a bit uh, pecked one of his eyes out of his head. And uh, Bran tells us this, and and Bran, uh, he, she, he gets this story from Old Nan, and he says that Old Nan refused to tell him why the other brother, or the other uncle anyway, Hothar, got the name Horsbane. And I, I found it interesting that Old Nan chose to use unusually good judgment for her in this instance. Yes. <laughs> she doesn't yes. ever seem to hold Normally, anything back. <laughs> exactly. Except for yeah. this one thing. <laughs> So the Umbers were complaining that half their harvest has gone to seed for want of arms to swing their sides. But you, I think, made the point to me that there is a group of men who have arms who could swing those sides. Indeed. And they're they're begging for supplies and men and stuff. Maybe if you sent some folks to the Umbers who, you know, Last Hearth is about the closest you could possibly get to the wall. They wouldn't even have to go that far. Help them out in the fields a bit, and, uh, you know, exchange will give you some of the things you're asking for free. Yeah. So the mention of Jamie Lannister's name by um, Clay Serwin uh, sets Bran's mind racing, and the chapter ends with a dream. It feels like he's very close now to be able to point the finger at Jamie Lannister as his uh, assassin, or at least the first of his two assassins. Um, but given that the Starks are already at war with the Lannisters, I'm not sure what impact this would have in particular. I mean, the the Starks already suspect it was the Lannisters right. that were involved. Yes. I mean, if, if he sent a hurried raven to his mother, she'd be like, yes, dear, I, I know. I've picked up on that. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good but, point. Uh, yeah, so, so 
it's it's portentous for him, of course. I mean, he doesn't know, and he's beginning to re- remember. So for him, it's something, but for the for the wider world, it probably isn't that important anymore. Yeah, and one of his early dreams, he was climbing the mount, uh, the a tower, and the kind of the raven crow was flying alongside him, and he saw, I think he saw a golden man, and the crow said, "Put that out of your mind. You don't need that right now." So that's right. Yeah. He's he's had times before where he was starting to remember, but also the the crow seems to be on a mission because in multiple dreams the crow has been try attacking his face and pecking at his forehead, and he's always woken up. But this time, the crow blinds both of his eyes and then pecks a third eye into his forehead, and now he can see again. And you just wonder if that is you know is that going to develop into something. I wonder if after this dream, he went to Moore's Umber and said, dude, feel you. <laughs> <laughs> you and me. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. You got some background for us? Yeah, let's uh, let's do a little quick background on House Hornwood. Now, we mentioned way back in Brand 6 of A Game of Thrones, that's the one when all the bannermen were, were de- ascending on Winterfell. We discussed that House Hornwood sigil. Yes, I'm showing the uh, House Hornwood sock. It is a brown bull moose with black antlers on an orange background. Now, their words are righteous in wrath. So, okay. And uh, as you've probably picked up on by all the swiping right on Laney Hornwood's uh, Tinder profile, (laughs) they're one of the primary bannermen to the Starks. But here's a few interesting tidbits about the house. Uh, So, like many of the Northerners, Lord, uh, Lord Hornwood sided with Rhaenyra Targaryen in the Blacks in the Dance of the Dragons. And in fact, in late 130 AC, the then Lord Hornwood was among those in Cragen Stark's army of Northmen that marched on King's Landing. But once in the capital, his younger son disappeared in Flea Bottom during something that was known as the Hour of the Wolf, which the Hour of the Wolf is, it was a time frame at the end of the Dance of the Dragons when Cragen Stark governed in King's Landing for a bit. Now, after the Dance of the Dragons, a Hollis Hornwood, known as Mad Howe, now this Hollis is spelled differently than our most recent uh, late Lorne Hornwood, who is Hallis Hornwood. He and another man named Timothy Snow formed a free company of Northwind known as the Wolf Pack. Now, a free company is basically an organized group of sellswords. Now, this Wolf Pack then left Westeros to set up business in Essos. I'll just mention that a hedge wizard is a local or traveling herb doctor found in Westeros. The wizard would likely use traditional healing spells, charms to heal the sick or help those in need. The hedge part comes from that they are quite likely to be poor and sleep outdoors at times, like hedge knights. Uh, Chances are they're more trusted by small folks since they're likely affordable and accessible. Nobles probably don't use their services very often, and if they do, they do it quietly, unlike the glovers. (laughs) Um, so comparison with the television show, uh, most of this is confined to a scene in the hall at Winterfell in which various northern lords and uh, lords' sons petition for things, this and that. Bran looks a bit sullen. Lewin has to remind him of his place and role. Uh, Roderick is not there. Um, it's just Lewin and uh, Bran. There are no fray boys. There's no quintain jousting. 
Uh, no Lady Hornwood, no discussion of her whatsoever. No Osha bathing. Instead, we get the uh, sight of Hodor bathing in all his glory. Oh, what a trade-off. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> One thing I wanted to mention, and this is sort of like, next up is pedantry, but this actually, I think, is actually really in the comparison with the television show. Uh, Bran dresses in sort of white wool for these meetings, kind of like his best clothes kind of thing. And I think several times in the books, I felt that the Starks dress up more than they do in the TV show. Oh. In the TV show, they are homespun and leathers, and you know they barely distinguishable from the Night's Watch what they wear. <laughs> but but in the in the book, they actually are quite fine in what they right. wear. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Or maybe this just happened because they're now kings in the north again. Maybe the 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 tailors of Winterfell who've been stitching these like you know ferret skins for <laughs> centuries right for 300 years finally they've been able to break out the finery and uh, so yeah it, just just a comment yeah that's a um, very uh interesting distinction there between the two yeah um pedantry so i would just say that does every northern lord need to be reminded of how much of their harvest to be set aside for the winter every winter the, I've heard the phrase "the North remembers," but apparently it doesn't. It doesn't remember it fails that. To remember <laughs> that is a Lewin must yeah. be like, "What the hell is wrong with you people? Set aside food. We just be the did this ten winter. years ago. <laughs> exactly. It's not even that long ago. You remember how hungry we were before the spring came? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. Definitely like it. News and notes. Well, news and notes. Um, so I came across this cool uh, YouTube video from a uh, YouTube channel called Scrivia TV that it goes through each northern house and shows the, the land. It's got a, like a really cool like it breaks each land into different colors and talks about um, each house's lands into different colors and talks of details about each house and shows some of their histories and stuff. It's, it's really cool. It's called a Map of the Known Houses of the North, Their History and a tour through Winterfell. So if you uh, go to Scrivia TV's YouTube channel and uh, check that out, I found it interesting anyway. And, and you're telling me this now. I know, sorry. I... This, <laughs> could you not have shared this with me? <laughs> and I, I actually made another discovery that aren't, isn't in the notes here that I just made in the past couple of days. Is So I really struggled a bit with this chapter because my audiobook uh, uh, ran out at the library. And so uh, I had no way of audiobooking it. And so my own, I was only left to how many times I could actually physically read it, which I normally uh, audiobook it while I'm walking or cutting grass or doing something on top of reading it. it. I know. So I was like, what can I do? So I just, I did some Google searching and I came across a YouTube channel called, uh, David reads a song of ice and fire. And, um, it's literally this guy, David, he reads every chapter. And uh, so I, I was listening to, uh, I was audio booking it through this uh, David. Are you a little bit concerned telling our readers, our listeners this, that they might go off and listen to that instead? <laughs> you know, why, why should I listen to these two talking about the chapter? I'm here the chapter. There's no witty. In less time. There's no witty commentary. <laughs> That's what I'm basing, wow. uh, what I'm banking it okay. on here. <laughs> Let's hope you're right. Now, I will say he, he is not Roy Detrice. He does do voices. I kind of wish he wouldn't. It's the voices can be a bit distracting. His Lewin voice was really hard to take. Um, 
But I do appreciate his effort. He definitely um, put in a lot of effort. So there you go. David reads A Song of Ice and Fire. A-S-O-I-A-F. Like David reads A-S-O-I-A-F is the uh, YouTube channel. Oh, and uh, finally here. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I would read this for you, but it's all gibberish. (laughs) Because I I was kind of also uh, informing you of this. Uh, You and I have a mutual friend. Uh, His name is Jacob Burnett, and his new book is out. It's called The Dream and the Muse. And um, it's his second fantasy fiction novel. His first was called Chaos Court. And his book, The Dream and the Muse, is currently ranked fourth on Amazon's hot new releases. Oh, wow. Yes, good for 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 Jake. Jake. So anyway, just thought I would mention that since uh, Jake is a friend of ours. Mm, Amazing. Oh, so we got a review, right? Yes. We got um, on Apple Podcasts, Mom in High Heels, whose whose very name makes me uh, feel a little hot (laughs) under the collar. Um, She said... Says lots of fun. I recently discovered this podcast, and I'm so glad I did. Finding a podcast about the Game of Thrones books is really difficult, as most deal mainly with the show. So I was excited to stumble across this one. The guys have great voices, and after a few podcasts, figured out how to modulate their sound, which I greatly appreciated. <laughs> their banter is fun and witty, and they always make me smile. Pedantry Corner is my favorite. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> because I'm all about pedantry. Details are important. Thanks for a great podcast, guys. Wow, thank you, Mom in High Heels. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's a great review. Very much appreciated. All right, let's put a line under this one. Okay. Let's draw some conclusions. So, uh, Bran doesn't love, but he's doing pretty well being the Stark in Winterfell. Yeah. His job's not too hard. As long as he can deal with the tedium of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without looking too bored. Yeah. Uh, let Lewin and Roderick do the talking. Yes, seems to be the right basically. Thing to do. And and Lewin and Roderick are doing the right thing. Bang the drum to get people preparing for a hard winter and defer, deferring the more complex issues to Rob. Yeah, they've all basically become uh, soft boys of summer, apparently. Really? They, they don't know they how to, uh, to save any grain. This, this hard harvest that they're going to have to do without any help right yes help toughen them up for the winter yes as um, the umbers (laughs) mentioned they don't have enough arms to uh, harvest everything they've got flip side of that is given that all the people are away off fighting the war it should be easy to set aside more of your harvest because there's no one there to eat it solid point yes that's what roderick should have mentioned why are you only putting aside a tenth you've (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing with all the excess your population is down 30% and you're setting aside a 10th? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Lady Hordwood seems to be the, the current prize in the North at the moment. She's 40th, and but, you know, by her own admission, she believes she's no longer beautiful. Uh, Roderick disagrees. But uh, I think all the Northern Lords are looking past any kind of um, lack of beauty issues and keeping their eyes on the prize, which is the lands and the wealth that come along with Mary <laughs> yes. and her. Every time we say Lady Hornwood in the sense of a prize here, I want to say land. Right. Because that's, that's the only thing they all care about. Yes, really. yeah. uh, but I wonder, could this escalate into uh, an issue here? Now, Roderick assured Lady Hornwood that she will be safe from invasion. She's concerned specifically about Bruce Bolton's son uh, and all the there's, – but there's a plenty of other hungry stares looking at her and her lands. But, you know yeah. – well, well, can he defend her against an attack if it uh, comes on suddenly? Yeah. 
we all have a soft spot for Roderick ever since his seasickness. Uh, <laughs> might be nice for him if he could get together with Lady Hornwood. Yes. Uh, but this is the book we're reading, so happy endings are not not on everyone's cards. No. Why should he be different? That's right. But I think I've painted a fairly uh, fairly good uh, story here that could work out with uh, Roderick uh, and Baron and Beth and Lady uh, Hornwood. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> So Bran is now right on the cusp of knowing who shoved him out of the window. But what will this knowledge give him? It isn't really going to change the geopolitics very much. Right. It might change Bran. Yes. He's going to know who pushed him. He's going to remember it. It's going to be a, a bad dream forevermore. Yeah. Could be could make him bitter, lust for revenge against the Lannisters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's going to know it wasn't a fall. It was an intentional yeah. act. Which I think will cheer him up a little bit because it'll be like, well, good. I knew I couldn't fall. Right. <laughs> that's told you I was never fall. That's the silver lining he's going to uh, yeah. cling to, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he's got a third eye in his dream. I don't know. I mean, it, it seems all symbolic anyway. But will that change yeah. anything? Before it seemed like the Raven was really working hard to try and create that third eye. Now it's finally accomplished it. Yep. And uh, with so many lords. And their sons in the Riverlands, uh, maybe the North will become a uh, quite a matriarchal society. Possibly, possibly. Maybe that's what Lady Home would she do? She should just go out and find someone who can sort of you know get her into the family way, <laughs> and m- make that bastard the heir to the Home. Right, lands. hey, they're her lands now. Better her own heir than her faithless husband. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, as always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Discord. And if you wouldn't mind in going out and leaving us a five-star rate and or a really nice review, we certainly would appreciate that and we might read it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.